women, when I speak to them, they have a few friends who they can confine in. And if they're feeling awful, it's a bigger chance that they will pick up the phone and, and, and chat to someone for a while and sharing that. And, and then perhaps half of the problem is solved by just speaking up. And the issue with me was that I just didn't do that. I kept everything to myself. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. I speak with those who have taken the darkest times of their lives and share their stories to educate, motivate, and inspire others to be their best self. That's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. I'm your host, Jason. I accepted that I'm powerless against alcohol, and in my sobriety, I've confronted my unaddressed childhood and adult trauma, as well as severe anxiety and depression. I'm speaking with the awesome Nick Janssen. Why did I want to speak with Nick? Well, he put out his book, Executive Loneliness, The Five Pathways to Overcoming Isolation, Stress, Anxiety, and Depression in the Modern Business World. And as I continue to grow in my recovery, I found Nick's book really compelling. Not only does Nick talk about his own recovery experience, consultations with mental health experts, conversations with other executives who have managed to recover from executive loneliness, mental health issues, and addictions, Nick also discovered five steps in his recovery journey, and he shares them in his book, Taking Stock, Asking for Help, Getting Healthy, Nurturing Healthy Relationships, and the ultimate finding purpose. For more on Nick, click the link in the podcast description. If this is your first time listening, please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and please subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. All the links are in the description. We couldn't do knocking doors down without 5150 LTM. If you want some cool hats, shirts, sweatshirts, maybe some sweatpants, I've got my favorite camouflage 5150 sweatpants on right now. Head on over to the store and check it out by going to 5150LTM.com or click the link in the podcast description. Then at checkout, use the code KDD20. That's KDD20 and get 20% off your entire order. Welcoming to Knocking Doors Down, the author of Executive Loneliness, The Five Pathways to Overcoming Isolation, Isolation, Stress, Anxiety, and Depression in the Modern Business World. Boy, we're all going through that. Nick Yonson, how are you? Good, sir. I'm very good, Jason. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. It's always great to talk to people over the pond, of course, Nick in, in Sweden. And uh, boy, let, let's jump right into it. I got an advanced copy of your book, so I started plowing through stuff uh, bits and pieces, and, and definitely I'm going to finish reading it chronologically. But for me, what really stood out and what I liked about your book was simply laying it out. You lay out the, lo- laid out these five steps that really you employed yourself. So it's, it's effective. You're like, Hey, this is what worked for me. Was that a conscious effort when you first went in? Did you have kind of a blueprint or as you were deciding to write a book, it just came together? Well, uh, Jason, you know, there's all these beautiful anonymous programs out there and, and, and I had never had any experience to them before I had my own crisis. And it is by attending these, uh, anonymous groups where I picked up and, and learned some things and then opened up a whole new world for me. And what I wanted to do, Jason, was to just share these my key insights and how they helped me to some people perhaps out there who never had any chance to have the same opportunity. Yeah. 
Well, and it's interesting that the, the title that you talk about the modern business world, and you know you, you're a very successful businessman. Um, and normally, I think you know I have a theory on on why you would get to the level you did of of turning to alcohol. But why do you think so many ex- executives reach that level of stress, anxiety, depression, isolation? Well, I, I actually call it a, a smiling depression in my book. And what I mean with that is that there's so many people, especially senior executives and business owners who need to keep that facade. They need to look so great. Uh, LinkedIn profile has to be looking fantastic. They join all the speaking panels. They have to join all the awards. They have to look so good. Uh, and that's basically the expectations of them. They cannot show the dark side. They have to hide it. And then by hiding this, they they suffer in a loneliness, which is pretty brutal, and they can never, ever share it with anyone, especially, you know, inside the company, they cannot share with the HR, perhaps they cannot share with the boss, the colleagues, so they just have to keep this facade. And then it's almost like they are the character of their own life, you know, and they're living a double life. Is that what you were feeling? Because when you really started drinking heavily, you had a, a big opportunity to, to move to Singapore, if I'm correct. And, you know, it, I mean, gosh, how many of us, you know, moved to a different country, primary language, totally different language? Like, what were you really feeling about yourself at that time? Well, it had compounded over many years and I didn't share now my challenges inside the workplace with anyone. I was living this double life and yes, I was successful. I was getting promotions. I was getting the pay rises and I probably wasn't the career path of my dreams. I was what I set up for. I mean, the, the society is set up in this way that, you know, we are shared on to reach the promotion and reach the positions. And that's what I ever was wanted. Uh, I thought I wanted, but once I was there, it was a very lonely affair. So that's why, you know, I found myself having this double life and, and my, my friends slowly became alcohol and alcohol basically before I knew it took over my life. It, it was what I needed after my work uh, to, to relieve the stress. And yes, I said it was social. I said it was for networking, but it was all lies. I mean, networking, I could have done networking in a different way. I could have joined a running club in the morning or uh, and, or done some other activities. But I found excuses to go to the bar. And increasingly, it, in, in the end, it became after every, every day after work. I needed it to release my stress and perhaps be a little bit who, who I was. I could relax. I could be around other people who was drinking. And, and before I knew it, I just couldn't stop this negative trend. Did it ever really affect the workplace? Did it get to a point where you weren't showing up, weren't weren't on the ball with your job, missing days, any of that stuff? It, it didn't go uh, to that level. And I think this is quite common as well. And you spoke to me, speak to most people who found themselves in this space, just suffer through it. We, we grind it out and we go there and it's not pleasant, but uh, we're trying to, again, show no one that this has any effect on your life until it collapses on you. So in my case, it, it went as far as I resigned from my job. I divorced my wife who actually asked her to move out and she moved back with my uh, son uh, to Sweden. Um, and I also basically didn't really know where I wanted to live. And I drove my finances in the ground. Everything came crashing around me uh, at this time. And, and I mean, looking back at it, 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 I didn't realize at the time, but it was due to alcohol running my life and I couldn't see clearly what was going on. 
Yeah, because we entered, I'm glad you point that out because I don't know how many times, um, you know, I personally went through a divorce, but the the marriage wasn't going to work regardless of the alcohol, but it sure didn't help the potential to maybe make it work. But uh, um, I definitely remember those points of of forget it. Uh, You know, I'm just going to quit my job and everybody's hounding on me without really being able to take that look in the mirror and go, I have a problem. Mm. Well, there was no one really on the way who told me that I had a problem. Again, I was hiding it so well and I was balancing it well. I was already an athlete. I was running marathons. I was doing uh, extreme triathlons, even Ironman events during this time. But what I would do, I would white knuckle uh, the alcohol, you know, controlling it three weeks leading up to a race. And then I was at the finish line, you know, having the photo with a medal. And that was the photo which I would share on social media. It's what I would send to my family and friends. The fact that after the finish line, I would go on a 72 hours bender and drink myself almost to, 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 you know, oblivion. That was not what I shared with anyone. And that side, no one saw. Uh, then I took a few days after that and I came back into the workplace and everyone was cheering, congratulating me for the race. And yes, I looked a bit rough. That was not from the race. That was from the alcohol. <laughs> you know, that was harder than the race in itself. Uh, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> during these cycles, they catch up you with you. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, it, and it's interesting the way that you, you, definitely present it and who you are as as a man because yeah you're an overachiever so you know the 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 people always perceive the alcoholic at least here in america i don't know there is the guy that's out on the street or under the bridge or or can barely keep a, a job or barely makes any sort of income whatsoever you know 27 divorces you know all these these stigmas and beliefs about it and it's so not the case because i was like you i wasn't a guy i didn't wake up to need to drink uh, but it sure as heck wound down the end of my day. And I justified it that, oh, I earned it. I deserved it. I worked hard today. Uh, you know, it's just so interesting. And from the outside, I, I probably wouldn't even notice as an alcoholic because here you are running these marathons like, oh, Nick's got his stuff together, you know? Exactly. And I mean, uh, I also use the term in the book called anxious overachiever because mm-hmm. I think that summarized, you know, as many senior executives. And that's what's fueling us perhaps to work so hard at things and working harder than everyone else because if you're anxious you constantly need to prove to yourself and others how good you are then you're working harder than everyone else so the others who actually have lives and do other things in their life you achieve more than them and overperform them because of the amount of hours and dedication you put in but not only that i mean the amount of external help though uh, to deliver at a high level that we would invest in everything from perhaps you know premium linkedin profiles photographers and paying perhaps even for your own personal branding to get you know uh, things done and that's perhaps something which the others don't but you just constantly have this that i need to prove to others that that i'm good and especially prove to yourself The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. 
This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Examining back life, did any of this start really with childhood, like thinking about little Nick and, and home life, I mean, was, was alcoholism addiction present or, or was there a very big drive within the family for, for success? It's a, it's a timely question, Jason, because I just came back to Singapore after having spent the, the European summer in Sweden. Um, and I was working a lot on myself over there, questioning myself. I, I cycled to areas, uh, and I went to walks around where I went to high school, but also even as a child. And I went there to to just really think and reflect on my life. And I would say it, there's nothing my parents did wrong. It's not nothing the way I, I grew up. Perhaps it was uh, quite a lot of bullying going on, but mm. it's nothing unique with that. Um, but so there was nothing standing out. My parents were not having uh, uh, any alcohol problem. Um, even though they had a like for it. And I think in Swedish culture, it's quite common also that you drink on the weekend. So alcohol would be present at family dinners and parties, uh, but not to the extent that anyone had issues that I had. Um, so no, it, it's it's not coming from that, uh, uh, I would say. Mm, yeah, it's interesting because we, you know, we, the more I dive in and kind of, you know, more meetings I hit and people are sharing their stories, we just see such a variety of it. For me, it, I I can really pinpoint family lineage of addiction and, you know, my own trauma and generational trauma. So uh, it, it I found it really interesting as a highly motivated guy. Um, I know my friends that maybe fell were were achievers, but fell into some substance abuse issues at times. That it, it was like a family thing, you know. You must succeed. You've got to be this. Everything's an A, or it's a failure. Hmm. In my instance, it was an escape. It started as an escape. I, I did, and you heard this in the this in the rooms, I'm sure as well. That uh, many people don't feel like they belong, and I also didn't feel mm-hmm. like I belonged. I felt quite out of place, and alcohol put me in the center of it. It gave me that confidence boost, and I I loved that feeling, and I wanted more of it. And then in the 90s. Uh, I start to have resentments against my dad. He he was not happy with the girlfriends I had. So uh, I moved out at a very young age. I moved to my own apartment and they were still interfering in my life. And I thought, you know, leave me alone. So I moved to Australia as far away as you basically can from Sweden. And uh, I didn't have a drinking problem then, but it certainly increased when I didn't have some family or around me to to you know remind me that I cannot drink at uh, this time of the day or whatever. Then it became more. Uh, I wasn't the daily morning drinker at this time but i certainly wouldn't mind to bring a few cold beers in the golf bag when i was playing golf and i was probably the first one to crack it so there was some early signs there yeah that sounds familiar well my golf game's terrible nick so i was always the guy that drank beer and drove the cart pretty well uh, <laughs> yeah but now i just drive the cart pretty well and i'm still terrible at golf so i don't know it didn't so brighty didn't improve my golf game but uh, at least i get to get out with good friends when i do play oh man uh, so what do you think the, the the biggest challenge for you like of accepting that help and i i i hear this more really more with men than than women um but i'm guessing as a higher achiever you know that 
you're blazing your way up the corporate ladder through whatever your industry is. And it's hard to acknowledge, you know, I need some help in any sort of way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, this was the issue when I had my career. I, I should have, of course, stopped and, and you know, asking for some help, even if it was a coach, a mentor, or perhaps some confidential uh, peer group or mastermind group where you're just sharing honestly. And you're right, it, it's quite typical of high achievers and especially men. While I had good friends who were male, we were playing golf and yes, we would go to the bar and watching sports, having good laughters together. I didn't share honestly and deeply with them how I felt inside me. And mm -hmm. it just seems that the women, when I spoke to them, they have a few friends who they can confine in. And if they're feeling awful, it's a bigger chance that they will pick up the phone and, and, and chat to someone for a while and sharing that. And, and then perhaps half of the problem is solved by just speaking up. And the issue with me was that I just didn't do that. I kept everything to myself. Yeah. Well, sounds, sounds very familiar. I, I, tell me if you felt this. I just felt like no one would genuinely care. Yes, I felt like that also. And, and the surprising thing is, Jason, and I'm happy to share with you, when I did start to speak up and, and, and how, the, how this changed everything, uh, and I was very surprised that people did care, people did listen, okay. people loved me and wanted to help me. And that was the first time in, a, in my life I felt like that. Yeah, yeah, same. Same. I always got, I've said it many a times. I felt very much like a be seen, not heard kind of person. Or when I was heard, you know, entertain me, go ahead. You're the funny guy or whatever it is, you know, that I always had to be playing a role for someone else. Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Well, what are some of the points that you went through that, that, that you want to speak out? I know you, you, um, you talk about losing a friend to, to suicide, um, and it's so important that we, we discuss our mental health, especially for men. God, I hope we're breaking that stigma where men feel more comfortable talking. But what were some of those monumental things for you where, where you just knew you had to get your story out there more beyond the rooms of AA? Yeah, so a few years ago, I had my own uh, crash. Then I hit rock bottom in April uh, 2018, basically. Um, and that's when I started to speak up and I remarried at this stage and I told my new wife the full story, the truth. And I then also came into uh, some of the anonymous groups and I was sharing my story in there. And that's the first time I felt safe sharing the dark secrets. Uh, and I realized that I wasn't alone in this. I realized that my stories were not... Uh, uh, unique. There was many people who gone through the same, and I saw people also on the other side of it. That gave me the confidence to start speaking up, but very much in a close circle of this anonymous group and with my uh, close family. I didn't yet share anything openly uh, with my uh, friends. I didn't share anything online about it. But what triggered me to then go public in 2019 is indeed when I lost a friend to suicide and he had not spoken up. And that's when I actually made a video clip about it and posted on LinkedIn. I started to raise money uh, for executive loneliness, as I said, uh, to raise awareness and funds for it. And it went viral. So before I knew it, within 24 hours, I was contacted from people all over the world sharing on this. And I was in the radio station the next day uh, talking on it. And so before I was ready to share it with the world, I was sharing my story as I had shared it in the anonymous 
uh, environment live on radio. And then after that, there's been no turning back. Oh, the floodgates were open then, huh? Yeah. And, and that's the best thing that ever happened to me, Jason. Yeah, that's that's great that you point that out. And I really hope everyone listening takes something from that right there is that when we share our story, not only do, does the weight lift for us, but it's kind of like when we share it, the, the, the burden that we're carrying, it's like all those other hands from those that we share with help lift it too. And these things just become lighter, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. And uh, and just before I went to the radio station, I, I wrote to my friend's brother and I said, I'm going live on radio now. And I started this fund here and it's all uh, in the memory of, of your brother. He said, OK, if I mention what happened to him and he said, shout it out loud. Those were mm-hmm. uh, 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 that that's what he would have liked to do. Uh, so that's what I did. And that's why after this radio interview, I realized, oh, my God, I'm onto something here that no one wants to talk about. Uh, and that's when I already then decided to to write a book on the topic. How do you think, not, not, not just for everyday people, um, men especially, but with those higher achieving executives and stuff, do we really encourage them to shed the walls because they, you know, I've seen it in people that I've worked with. I've, I've, I've been that person in the position that, that I've been in, in, in different industries, uh, primarily radio broadcasting, but just not really not knowing when and when is and isn't the right time to be vulnerable. Yeah. I think, uh, I wasn't vulnerable at all before now I'm, uh, maybe too vulnerable sometimes, but I'm not in the corporate world anymore. I'm a small business owner myself, uh, you know, so I can be that. And if people don't like that, then they can choose, uh, you know, uh, some other uh, platform or some other people to be with. But it has actually been life transformational. And there's people coming up to me every day from the corporate world, talking to me about recovery and issues and addiction, simply for the reason that they feel safe to talk to me about it. Is that what you're doing with with EGN is working primarily with with corporate people and helping them? So in EGN, it's a professional networking group. We do confidential peer groups. So the executives basically are are in smaller peer groups, almost like mastermind groups, and we facilitate them. So they are discussing the work-related challenges they have. And many times it can be cultural issues. It can be conflict with the boss or the teams. And so it's not about recovery addiction in itself, but the fact that they are inside these groups, they sign an NDA, they are confidential discussions. And me as then the leader of this need to walk the talk. I need to encourage everyone to be honest, to be uh, brutally honest here, because the more vulnerable you are and sharing about your challenges, the better it goes. And uh, therefore, I set the scene and the culture of EGN now in Singapore, where we have almost 800 executives, is very much so that people are speaking up. But outside the room during the coffee break or on a bike ride with the members, that's when they uh, they start to mention, oh, by the way, I just took uh, three weeks of alcohol. I read your book. I think I have an issue. What should I do? So they are at least feeling comfortable to open the topic with me. And and uh, and you know this, Jason, to, to carry the message here and to open those doors is so important. Oh, it's a must. I mean, it's uh, it's one of the imperative parts of our 12 steps, right? When we become of service and, and service is so per- important because it becomes a part of our purpose. And I don't know about you, regardless of 
whatever the outside people were telling me, I, I never felt a sense of purpose or joy. Sure, pleasure, because I got it with the booze and the women and whatever else, but most certainly not purpose and joy. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly the same. And I think that's the same when you talk to people. Yeah, it's it's about chasing uh, chasing something every day and never stopping, never enjoying the moment, never sitting down thinking, uh, what is my purpose here? And and also, as we say, you know, the gift we get in recovery in order to keep it, we have to give it back. And that's something that I'm trying to do every day. Uh, yesterday, I went to a, a meeting in the morning, a breakfast meeting. We had a, 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 an evening event last night, a, a, a cigar club. And uh, this morning, I'm heading to another meeting and glad to hand over a, a, a three-month ship to someone who has uh, three months uh, inside recovery and just to see how his life is transforming and really enjoying this. Uh, this is my purpose now. This is how I want to live. Yeah, I'm glad you bring a purpose for me, um, you know, as part of my uh, productivity uh, that I need to be able to do to do all the things that makes me feel I'm being of service and fulfilling a purpose. Uh, I've been doing something new with my daily routine. It's called Magic Mind. You know, I'm finding that I can focus more throughout the day now that I'm doing it because sometimes I'd get a little bit of brain fog and Magic Mind seems to be the perfect solution. Yeah, I found this little shot, improved my morning so much. I love that I can take it with me anywhere and drink it and whenever I need a quick energy boost. And it's really nice. I'll have it either by itself or I'll mix it with juice or whatever it is. I've actually started skipping coffee altogether. Plus, with coffee, it was giving me jitters and all these other things that would affect my sleep. But uh, with Magic Mind, due to the ingredients in there, I mean, it's got matcha, it's got ashwagandha, uh, lion's mane mushroom. It's so many good natural ingredients that are in Magic Mind that uh, just give me that good energy throughout the day. And I don't get that weird inevitable crash or the jitters from caffeine, uh, which sometimes that can spike my anxiety. So um, it's, I, all I can say is it's a good product. I recommend it. And the cool thing, I have a 20% off code to share with you guys, uh, KDD20, that's KDD20, uh, to use it, you can go to magicmind.co slash KDD and enter the code KDD20, that's KDD20. The best part is that you have a money back guarantee, and if you get a subscription, it's uh, 40% off. And yeah, my 40% off code only lasts for 10 days. So hurry up and use it or get 20% off your first one-time purchase. That's again uh, with the code KDD20. That's KDD20. Click that link in the podcast description right now. And um, another thing that you also brought up, uh, Nick, that's really been a struggle for me. Being in the moment. What do you, what do you, what, what helps you? I, I still struggle with this. I still have some anxiety and, and depression and uh, it's getting better, but w- what helps with you remaining in the moment? Well, sport really helps me. I, I do a lot of sports still swimming, biking and running. And uh, because that's my own me time. And uh, the first sport swimming, I find boring. And I think it's important to do boring things in life because huh. Once you do some things that are boring and going for a 45 minute swim, then you're completely empty. You're just looking down in the swimming pool and you, you're doing the exercise. And I get in some kind of meditation mode, you know? 
Well, but you're right. I think that is it. But we're we have this brain, especially now with so much different technology, stimulates me, stimulate me. I mean, I can see when I can upset my kids. Is <laughs> if I go, hey, you got chores to do? Get off your computer or your video game device. You want to see them get upset real quick? That's an easy way to do it. Yeah, we need that space in the brain, you know. And I see even now you can even buy the swim goggles now, which had digital screens and all the updates. Come on, man. I'm going in there to relax and get some free time, you know. And and then after swim, perhaps another time you go out on a bike ride, you connect a bit with the nature, the smells, the sounds, and and just get out there. And that that to me is the foundation for this. And of course, it comes also with with prayers and meditation and all, all these other things. Uh and and then you you get that space that that works for me and when it comes to the meetings i go to i try to go for a walk as much as i can walking to the meetings uh, so i get some space also in myself first put away the phone and just to get some quiet time so i'm ready for it so i can be there in the moment yeah well and i mean nick you you, you nail it I, you know that physical activity it just in especially in nature it just gets us back in tune with with ourselves you know there's nothing Nothing stimulate. I don't know about you. I've never done an Ironman. Uh, I'm not that hardcore. Was a pretty decent basketball player at one time. But when we get in the rhythm of something, we're really paying attention to our to our breathing and everything else. And 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 when we get that working, we kind of go into a subconscious state that's pretty cool. Like like it just like things just feel unfocused, don't they? Yeah, absolutely right. And. Uh... I mean, I, I l- listen to Rich Roll. He, he has a, a podcast also, right? When he's talking about sport and uh, and alcohol and nutrition. And I'm on the journey now also to try to get better with the nutrition so that the body actually gets what it deserves. And it's just amazing uh, when you when you remove poisons from your life and you're eating healthy, the way the body reacts is, is in a completely different state. So yeah, that has also helped me a lot with my, depressions and anxiety fading away step by step things are getting brighter yeah well you lay it out really well is your your book i mean you stuck to it you pulled out five great steps taking stock uh was step one two asking for help three getting healthy four and this is interesting because you put getting healthy and nurturing healthy relationships separate and i i really like that you did that because the way you focus those they have different components. Um, and I want to talk more on step four and of course, step five, finding purpose, but step four, uh, how was it for you when you decided, uh, you know, I'm not going to drink anymore. Those people that you used to go out and drink and those relationships and maybe realizing there was a, an exchange of toxic traits and setting boundaries that, you know, gentlemen X, you got to go away. Well, uh, a few of them walk, uh, went away by themselves. They didn't want to hang with you anymore. And uh, and as you probably know, a few of them would fall off and, and sadly die as well, uh, going down that path. Uh, so yes, it, it takes perhaps a few months to break that. And then you find your new friends, uh, perhaps in the support groups or in your new activities you are picking up. And, uh, and that makes a huge difference. I mean, I remember when I, I moved to another city, uh, one time I joined uh, uh, the local sports club. I, I joined like a running club, a triathlon club, and all my friends in this city became friends around these clubs, and my life was great. Then another time when I moved to another city, 
my first place of, of going into was a bar next to the hotel where I stayed temporarily. Those became my friends. I joined the dart club there before I, I know it. I think I was in the pool, the team there. And therefore, every day I would come to this bar and do, and these were my friends, these were my activities. And you can imagine the kind of different experience I had. So I said, we, we need to be very mindful of what kind of clubs and associations we are joining and signing up and the, the kind of friends we are surrounding ourselves with because nothing will have a bigger impact to your life. Yeah. What advice can I pull from you in... Um... And from what I've gathered as I've gone through your book, as I have, is it, again, laying them out in five steps, you do it in a really good way that, hey, you, just because you've done step one doesn't mean you aren't going to go back to step one at some point. So how do hmm. you maybe go back to taking stock again um, at certain points in life to really give you relevance and, and, and uh, take an examination of what decision you want to make? Hmm. I mean, the first time taking stock was obviously to clear all the backlog and clearing the baggage that that was there. And now it's uh, as we as we learn in the program is that the do a daily inventory. Uh, it can be before you go to bed, think back on the day. Did I did I say something? Did I send a message or an email that wasn't quite right? Can I repair it before I go to bed? Uh, if you sent uh, an email that perhaps were not so nice. Just send another email, say, uh, recall it and say, sorry, that didn't come out right. Let me give you a call tomorrow and, and let's chat about this. I'm sorry. If you just do that, then you, you can go to bed feeling a bit better and hopefully have a better sleep. Yeah. How do, how do you practice with yourself rigorous honesty? Well, it's a big part of the program, isn't it? Honesty and, yeah. uh, and, and being honest with ourselves uh, before we can be honest with others. Um and I think it, it, it helps by going to these kind of support meetings where you're sharing, uh, you, you practice getting honest and uh, the honesty just keeps growing. Yeah. I find that, that in some meetings too, when I, I don't know about you, I don't really plan when I share like what I'm going to talk about because some, some meetings I go to, it might be the daily reading from the big book or um, somebody might just have a topic. So I never pre-plan. And, and I find myself saying things about myself, taking responsibility for myself that I didn't even realize that I thought at times. Have you ever ran into that? Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you don't really know what the meeting is going to be like. Uh, so indeed, and that's the beauty with this, that it's spontaneous. It's uh, straight from the heart. And, and because so many times in life we're preparing for a presentation and then we become this actor, right? Then it yeah. becomes a show. Uh, these meetings is not a show. You're not an actor. It's supposed to be uh, your authentic yourself. Yeah, which, which at times can be tough to do. Uh, but yeah. hey, there's a book for it and it's your book. Oh, goodness <laughs> gracious. Uh, what is some of the cool feedback that, that, that you've gotten from, from people that have, that have read the book? Well, it's been a bit of a door opener because let's face it, some of the, uh, the recovery programs, maybe the material will, uh, again, due to the stigma, turn people away. Maybe they wouldn't pick it up or buy it because they're scared someone will see it. But when it comes to this book, I, people are quite interested. They, they don't mind picking up a book called Executive Loneliness. And, and, and I, I pitched it as if it's not for yourself, maybe you have some colleagues, friends, or family around you who could suffer from anxiety or depression. So 
have a look at the book. So if you approach it like that, that, you know, if you care about your family, you should read it and it, it, and so you know what to look out for in them. And then perhaps some, as you know, something will talk to them inside a book. And that's been an eye, an eye opener for quite a lot of people. And then they come to me and have a conversation or hopefully someone else. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I'm, I'm glad you say that. It's really interesting because I never, I never expected in doing something that there were, you know, millions of views on YouTube and, and hundreds of thousands of closing, I think closing 300 or, or three quarters of a million listens or anything like that. in just over two years, I was like, yeah, I didn't see that coming. But, uh, but when you get that one thing where uh, somebody sends you a message and says, you know, Hey, thanks. You're like, wow, this program that I resisted at first was right, <laughs> you know? Yes, no, no, absolutely. And I have a lot of that as well. And especially then after I went on radio and uh, what happened after that, Jason, it was a four page spread in the local business newspaper. And I, as far as I know, it's the biggest uh, mental health related media exposure in Singapore's history. Wow. And that came out of that, uh, uh, that episode back in 2019 when this went viral. And it was a wonderful place to be because I get, got so much, uh, you know, gratitude from people thanking me, saying we need more of this. And when I shared it on LinkedIn and, and Facebook and all the other social media channels, you know, everyone said, we never read of this on these channels. It's always just about how good everyone is. Now you're sharing your story in the dark sides. Uh, that gives me hope. And there were so many who said, well, uh, I'm so blessed, Nick, that you took this out because, uh, you know, my daughter is going through a very difficult time now or uh, my wife uh, has just gone through a depression or my my son has just come out of rehab and this gives me some hope. And, you know, so just by sharing that and people to see that there's other people, not only my family is going through a difficult time, just that sympathy there goes a long way. Yeah, it really does. And and it helps at least me in a, in a lot of ways to realize that even going through difficult times, cause we're going to, that's, that's part of life, but that, that there's something on the other side of it, you know, uh, there's, there's a lesson to be learned and, and take forward, um, through all of this. I, I just, yeah. I, and maybe that's part of the faith component. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I did some research around the book and I started to write it then in 2019 before the pandemic. And when I surveyed executives um, about loneliness, 30% of them said that they are suffering from loneliness. And mm. then I redid this service in 2020 during the pandemic and the numbers had doubled almost to 59%. Uh, so people were working from home, you know, feeling further away from the colleagues and so on. So loneliness had doubled. That makes sense. The issue then is that when you're then asking the next question, you know, are you talking to your colleagues and your HR, your boss about it? Uh, and then 84% said no. Yeah. So that means, you know, they are actually, they, the loneliness have doubled, but they're not talking about it. Yeah. Well, and the ones that maybe too, uh, I'm sure you've seen it with people that you've known that are struggling with something is that that willingness to even admit that they're lonely. So, you know, it might be near 60%, but it could be higher because that's 60% that are willing to admit it, you know? Absolutely. This was an anonymous survey, but still, yeah, I think you're right. It's, it, it, it could be higher. And then uh, one more statistics, which uh, I looked at was... Uh, 
by the Mental Health Foundation in the UK, and they did a survey and, uh, that showed that 75% of executives do not seek help if they have a mental health issue. Uh, so again, that means, you know, we're, they're keeping it secret. They're not asking for help. So a vast majority just go and, and, and white knuckle it, uh, <laughs> these challenges. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that you bring that up. I'm So, Nick, I'm a huge Formula One fan. Huge, uh, which ironically, my team is Mercedes AMG Petronas or Patronus, depending on where you're from. And um, I love Toto Wolf, who's the, the, the head of that race team. And he spoke out about that recently of getting, getting help for his mental health struggles. And I was like, wow, this is so awesome that this guy that, again, someone like me, like, you know, he looks like he's a, that overachiever, you know, a lot of gumption and grit. And here he is opening up. And I was like, just in awe of where there's more people. Lewis Hamilton opened up about it, how the, the season ended last year. And for me, that was like a really touching thing to see when these, these men that are admired by millions, um, are just honest and vulnerable about it. Yeah, and I'm glad to see that it's starting there. And I think it has been happening quite some time now. It, uh, I think rock stars have been uh, quite vulnerable and open and honest about when they, maybe because they have to delay the tour, there's no options when they're ending up in rehab, right? But yeah. what about business people? How We really, really don't hear that. It's, some, it's always some other story and it, it doesn't come to the light as much. Um, and and I just wonder when will it be perfectly okay to say that you have hit the wall, that you need some time away, and, and, and that's perfectly okay and welcome by the society. We are not there yet, but the fact that yeah, uh, even Formula One drivers and 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 other athletes are speaking out is certainly helping this. Yeah, well, and that, and I'm glad you bring that up because you know the this side here, knocking doors down, comes from a book that was written by Carlos Vieira that you know the. Uh, put me into starting this podcast and he talked about his struggle with his cocaine addiction and the mental health toll and everything else. And even his clothing brand 5150 here in the States, you know, that's a, you're a harm to yourself or someone else and how he turned it around. So it, it, it it's important, you know, and, and he's a leader in industry and that we get these things out there that it isn't just the, the young teenager that's going through the hormonal changes or whatever, it could be very people from outwardly viewed as successful that, that are hurting. And, and it's okay to say, Hey, I'm hurting. I'm lost. I'm confused. Uh, I need help. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I see, I seen it also. I went over to Las Vegas in 2013 and I joined a delivering happiness boot camp uh, with Tony Chi, uh, oh. the founder of Sappos. So yeah. uh, I spent some days there with him. Uh, he invited Anthony Robbins over for a Friday's all hands meeting. It was all this energy, all this inspiring, the happiness workplace. And then uh, we all know what happened to Tony, right? Two years ago during the pandemic, he went in, in a very lonely, dark place. And before we knew it, he, he was also gone from this earth. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's really unfortunate for sure. And it's sad where that dark place can take us. Yeah. Exactly, and yeah. and 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 it's uh, and I hear in the rooms many times people are speaking, especially men, uh, successful men, who say that you know if if I would travel away for three four days, there's no one in this world who would know. They live these lives where you know they have no one who they are accountable to. Uh, perhaps away from the family, perhaps they are divorced or single, 
And here in Singapore, 30% of expatriates are single. So, you know, if they go away for a few days, no one will know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's sad. And, and it makes sense though, because they're, they're atop of the, uh, the ladder, so to speak. And, and who's anyone else to question them, right? To keep them accountable. Go. Yeah. So they got a volunteer. Hey, keep me accountable. That's why they reach out to you. Yes. And that's why, you know, once you're inside recovery, we, we look out for each other, right? We are there, we are helping each other. And if someone doesn't show up a day or two for a meeting, people will be knocking the doors. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Nick, uh, before we get to some uh, fun, random questions, and I leave you with the final thoughts, uh, if people want to find out about mo uh, more about EGN, your book, Executive Loneliness, how can they do so? Well, I'm quite active on LinkedIn, so they can look me up there. There's uh, Nick Johnson there, N-I-C-K-J-O-N-S-S-O-N. -S -S so that's, uh, you got it right. Jonsson is the Swedish pronunciation <laughs> of my last name. Uh, or if they go to Amazon, they can look up my book, Executive Loneliness. It's also now on an Audible as an audio book. Um, yeah, and then they can follow me there as well. Excellent. I'm glad it's on Audible. Did you read it yourself? I didn't read it myself, um, but it's on there by request. Many executives prefer to listen to it, perhaps when they're going for a jog or so. Uh, so that, uh, therefore, it made sense to take it to Audible. Yeah. Well, and I'm a guy that drives a lot, so I love Audible because, uh, you know, I just don't get the time to read books like I wish I did. But uh, yeah. uh, Nick, all right, this is where we just have some fun. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. All right. If they were to uh, turn your book into a, a movie and at least pull out the autobiographical stuff, who would you want to play you? What actor? Oh, wow. I think, yeah, I think it'd be too scary to play myself uh, uh, in the dark days. So I probably need to hire some good actor for that. But I, I like to do the part, uh, the last one, the finding your purpose, because that's where I'm living now. And I think that's where I can be a good actor. Yeah, I think so. But what actor, maybe the dark times, who would we hire? Who would be a good actor for the dark times? Well, I think you had some good ones on your show in the past. Perhaps Charlie Sheen would do a good job with that. <laughs> hey, he, he would Stanislavski kind of know that, that they like, oh, this is familiar. <laughs> uh, um, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? One superpower. Uh, oh, dear. Uh, well, I think healing others would be fantastic. You know, you are the first person to say that other than myself. That is what I always say for my superpower. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I, they, you know, not necessarily take away the lesson from whatever that pain is, but, you know, just that healing thing. So yeah. that's cool. Um, all right. You are uh, stranded on an island. You have one movie and one music album with you what are they oh wow one movie uh, you know in the dark days i was uh, leaving las vegas uh, <laughs> 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 these uh, days what do i what do i love to watch uh, you know uh, perhaps uh, something like the the titanic i i always i love the music and i love everything around how that movie is done yeah, all right uh what about music is there one artist or one album Absolutely. And, and I saw them live in Sweden just a few weeks ago with my 13-year-old son, uh, Iron Maiden. Oh, nice. That is, that is what I got. I have a tool shirt on. I almost threw on the Iron Maiden today. So you are there speaking my language right on. Any particular album that was like a favorite Iron Maiden album? 
I, I think they, I mean, they've done so many, so many good ones, but, uh, oh, I'm, I'm not sure actually. That's all right. I'm kind of, for me, it's either, uh, probably somewhere in time. I still think that's my favorite one, but anyways, this isn't about uh, Iron Maiden. Um, if you could have dinner with any one person living or not, who would it be and why? Oh, dinner with one person. I think Rich Roll. Yeah. I'm yeah. a big fan of him. Right on. Any particular things you would want to ask him? I think uh, he, his his honesty stands out. His honesty stands out, uh, and I think I have a lot to learn from him still. And it would be more about the the diet, really, really, how to you know make it happen. I'm still struggling. Uh, while alcohol these days is not something I have an issue with on a day-to-day basis, I can exclude it. But food is so difficult. There's so much, uh, you know, uh, junk food, sugar, and unhealthy things on offer the whole time. The whole society is full of it that I'm I'm struggling there. So I, I would love to get some hands-on tips how to really get the, the, the food working for you. Yeah. Well, if you ever talk to him, let me know because then I'm going to ask you what you asked him because that is my biggest struggle still. Probably uh, just just give me a bag of chips. It's fine. There you go. Chips and ice cream seem to be my my Achilles heel. Yeah. Um, Nick, this has been a, a real pleasure and and thank you for for those who haven't picked it up. Our time difference, uh, you know, we started about what five a.m. your time, something like that. So. Uh, I appreciate it very much. Um, if uh, you could leave the listener with um, any words of encouragement through through all your experience and writing the book and everything you've been through, what might that be? Well, I would say if there's something on your mind, something that keeps popping up to your mind, think about who can you talk to this about. And if there's no one in your friends or family you can talk about, think about then uh, can you call an anonymous hotline or is there some support? Otherwise... <laughs> Get a coach, get a life coach or whatever it takes. Just get that out of your mind and talk to someone about it. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. 
Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.